We just finished our series on a God's Witness Protection Program. If, uh, and I, I think it's uh, worthy of, of uh, you can go to ljvineyard.org and you can listen to some of those things. Uh, because the, really the purpose and an understanding of what that series was about is what it really takes to walk successfully with Jesus. When I say walk successfully with him, I'm saying that we are walking in such a way that we can continue to walk with him, that we don't get trapped and caught by the things of this life. Um, Today we're starting a new series, and it's called The Program to Change the World. And... The scripture really does uh, talk about changing the world. And in this series, we're going to talk about you and I. We're going to talk about the role of the church. We're going to talk about social justice. We're going to talk about things like uh, gifts and talents and the things that are resident in each one of us. We're going to talk about church programs. We're going to talk about how all of that has meaning and value. What it means and what it does not mean when it comes to God's agenda in the world. I want to really start with a little bit of history um, when we look at the world of the past. And when I say the world of the past, I'm really talking about the ancient world. And and we go back uh, in time and we see uh, the challenge or the issue in the world. We have many ideas and many ways that we want to fix things. We're fixing one of those things right now. This is called the already of the kingdom. But we can become a little bit, I think, confused because... It really takes an understanding of what's wrong with the world to become a part of a, of a world changer. In Romans chapter 5, verse 12, and all these verses will be NIV unless I say otherwise. It says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. See, Scripture describes that the problem in the world is sin. That's the problem. That's the the root of the problem for you, for I, for the world, no matter where you're at in the world. And God describes the effects of sin. He said it is going to bring deception to you. It's going to cloud you. It's going to bring deception to you. It's going to make it where it's less easy, less possible for you to connect with real truth. That's going to be your condition, my condition. It's going to put distance between you and God. There's going to be a separation that comes out of it. It's going to put distance between you and other humans. No matter who they are, it's going to bring a distance that has to be overcome. And it's going to bring destruction and death. That's what sin is going to do. That's the effect it will have. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 11 and 12, Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, And was full of violence. 
And God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. Do you see the effects? That was the effects. That all happened because of sin. And they kept, they continued to spiral in deception and in distance from God and in distance from one another. And love and trust were things that were broken between God and man and man and man. How did it play out? Sin's effects in humanity, they looked like this. There were ethnic and tribal lines that were drawn, and those lines separated mankind. And they became battle lines. They became competitive lines. They became lines where trust could not cross that line. They became lines of judgment. They became lines that, that activated sin between man and man. They became lines where the enemy of God, Satan himself, became active in the lives of human beings at that line. Where people who looked a little bit different, who talked a little bit different, who believed a little bit different, automatically became our enemy, that anybody who was not like me was not to be trusted. Religious lines, when your beliefs are different than mine, when your spiritual values become different than mine, they become the battle line once again. And you become a threat to me and my faith and my beliefs and my religion. Therefore, you are my enemy. Socioeconomic lines were drawn this is the haves and the have-nots. This is the people with money and status and people without money and without status. And those lines were drawn. And the people down here were kept low. They were kept at a level of servanthood. They were allowed to live and survive as long as they stayed in their place. And people who were up here relished in their life. And they continued to build that line, and it became a battle line. And millions have died at that line. Millions have suffered at that line. And power and greed and fear became the primary motivators of humanity. And great leaders used power, they used greed, they used fear to gather more, to build more, to become more at the expense of someone across another line. It was the condition of the world in that time. Just as God said, sin took its toll. And the division between God and man and man and man suffered greatly. You see, in that distance, man placed his hope. If I can get more power, me and mine can be safe. More horses, more weapons. If I can get the favor of my God, then I can destroy and dismantle my enemies. And what they used to do with their enemies is 
They would displace them. They would go in and they would conquer a people and they would take these people to a faraway land and scatter them as slaves. You see, they were trying to break their identity. The way they were trying to eliminate the line is eliminate them as a race, eliminate them as a people. Destroy their religion, destroy their heritage, destroy their thinking. And subjugate them as a lower class to our people. You see, that was the hope. The hope was, can I conquer all my enemies? Do I have enough weapons? Do I have enough warriors? Is my God with me that I can conquer all of my enemies? But you see, after fighting, after conquering, after this people conquering this people, this people disseminating this people, after years and years and decades and decades and centuries of that process of the best of man's thinking, you know what it produced? Ethnic and tribal lines, religious lines, socioeconomic lines, Power and greed and fear. That's what it produced. If you ever have an oil fire and you hit it with water, all it does is just splatter the oil and the fire everywhere. So instead of having one giant fire, you got a thousand smaller fires. That's humanity. God said it would be like that, and it was. And man's hope in power and weapons. If I can just exterminate one more people group, two more people groups, then I can make the world a cleansed and a safe place for my race. It's tried many times. It's being tried today all over the world right now. People are being strangled out as a race persecuted. We move to the recent past. The last hundred years, man had a new hope. That new hope was education. You see, back in the days of tyranny like that, they were just ignorant. They followed all kinds of strange gods. They were not a modern man. Education, science, and technology those tools can be relied upon in a modern setting to do new and wonderful things in humanity. And you see, the reality is the line doesn't really even exist after all. And we can use science and technology and get smart and educated that we can demonstrate those lines don't exist. Transportation gets better. It doesn't take three months or four months for somebody in, in the Congo to get to a hospital. We can do it in hours to almost any hospital you want them at. Modern political thinking stepped in. Okay, we're not trying to annihilate races. We want to all get along. Communication. We can cross, talk across 
uh, tribal lines, across language barriers. We, we have all kinds of ability to communicate like we never could before. Our ability to just distribute food, supplies, needs is greater than it's ever been. We can look at our world to say today and see that man's hope has produced ethnic and tribal lines, religious lines, socioeconomic lines, power, greed, and fear. But I would say we've added two. Our natural resources are being depleted in many ways, and our natural resources are now a source of global conflict and atrocities. We're in places like the Ivory Coast or Rwanda. They killed entire villages for diamonds, where they force small children to be soldiers, where they force them to kill their family and their parents. What are they trying to do? They're trying to break their heritage. You see, nothing has changed. The world looks the same, only more so. People ask me, is the world more evil today? I would say it this way. We have hundreds of millions of more people. We have invented incredible ways to do evil. Just by virtue of the numbers, we've upped the evil. It's the world we live in. This is your world. It's my world. And if you're going to change the world, if you really care about social justice, if you care about human trafficking, if you care about hunger, if you care about these things, then you're going to have to care about sin. Because greater people than us, perhaps, have been trying really hard to do something about this. The world still needs a savior. Ethnic and tribal lines, religious lines, socioeconomic lines, all of these things, here's what is really at work here. This is going to require a supernatural fix. This is something you and I, in our best skill, in our best ability, we cannot fix our world. We cannot fix it. With all of our technology, the genius that we have, and I, I tell you, I'm absolutely amazed at the genius of humanity. But it won't fix what's wrong with us. The scripture says this is going to require a supernatural fix. It won't be education. It won't be knowledge. It won't be understanding. It won't be more food. It's going to take something 
that is able to touch the world right here in the heart. Mankind needs this change in order for mankind to lower the distance and to eliminate those lines that we have created. Man will need a change in heart. That's what the scripture says. Now we can choose not to believe it and we can choose that we have the ability. I read articles all the time that technically we can absolutely produce enough food that the whole world would never go hungry again. I don't care. It doesn't matter. You can also say that there is enough energy in the atoms in the paperwork I have before me to run the United States for years. But if you can't get it out, food is being sent to places in Syria right now, but the food isn't getting to the hungry people. It's being hijacked by soldiers and rebels because they want the hungry people to die. You see why it won't work? If only it were that simple. We just have to distribute better. But the problem is distribution isn't the problem. You see, Jesus came because the world needed a Savior. He came because of the effect that sin was having on humanity. In John 3, 16 and 17, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus did not come because everybody was evil, everybody was bad, everybody was screwed up, and he was going to deal with it by making everybody pay the price for their crimes. He came because they needed a Savior. The song that we were singing when we went out, Everyone needs a savior. The hope for all nations. That's why he came. He didn't come to judge the world. He came to save the world. He's not deluded. He knows what's wrong. He knows what will fix the world. Let's skip the next slide. The world saw Jesus as a Savior. When you look at the Scriptures, how he's described, he's powerful. He's one that had great authority. He was one that had compassion. He was bold. He was fearless. He was very aware of the time, and he was very focused on his purpose. He was on that mission. 
to save humanity from what they could not fix. Now I want you to see how Jesus approaches this differently. He's powerful, but he has no army. He has authority, but he does not carry a weapon. Do you see how he's moving in a very different way than humanity approaches the problem of sin? How did he come? He came with forgiveness. He came with healing. He came with truth. He came with a life that modeled all of those. He came in love. That was his strategy to overcome the power of sin in humanity. That's how he came. Those were the weapons that the Father gave him to make the world different. One man. One man. Empowered and equipped by God. And that's what he came with. He didn't have a position. Certainly not one recognized by man. But people saw something in him. Even if they didn't call him Savior, people saw something in him. Who is Jesus? Mark 1, 9 through 11. Here's what God says. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, whom I love with you. I am well pleased. Who did God say he was? His son. You're my son. And I love you. And I'm pleased with you. What else does God say? Luke 19, verse 10. For the Son of Man, Jesus, came to seek and to save the lost. So God says, this is my Son. I love him. I'm pleased with him. What is he doing? He is seeking and he is saving those that cannot save themselves. He is seeking and saving those who are distant from me. He is seeking and saving those who are distant from one another. He is seeking and saving those who are entering into destruction and death every day. He's changing the world. Who is Jesus? What did men say? Mark 8, verse 27 through 30. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, Who do the people say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, 
still others, one of the prophets. Maybe they don't know exactly who he is, but here's what they know. He comes in power. He is important, and he is from God. They know there is something about this man. The people noticed he was from God. Then Jesus asked them, what do you say? Verse 29, but what do you, what, what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. You are the Savior. That's what that means. You're the Savior. You're the one who's come to save us. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. Who is Jesus? Mark 3, verse 10 and 11. We see what demons had to say about Jesus. For he had healed many, so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. And whenever the impure spirits saw him, they fell down before him, and they cried out, You are the Son of God. They knew who he was. They knew why he was there. But a very important question is, who does Jesus say Jesus is? John 9, 4 and 5 who Jesus says he is, as long as it is the day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I'm the light of the world. I'm the one that breaks the deception. I'm the one that shows the way. I am the one. Jesus knew exactly who he was. You see, if you're going to change the world, then what God says about you matters. What people say about you will matter. What the people who know you well, your friends say, will matter. What demons say about you will matter. And what you say about you will matter. Those will all matter if you are going to be someone who takes a shot at social justice in this world. If you want to be someone who is a part of the world being different, then those will become very five, those, those, those five things will become very important views of you.
If you're a person that just tries to do the right thing and, and, uh, and live your life, I'm not sure how much Savior power is in there. So the beginning point is to know what's wrong with the world. The second point is to know who are you. How many of you, at some point in your life, have watched and, and were taken, were grabbed, maybe even contributed money, maybe to a, a Jerry Lewis telethon? Or maybe you did a 5K run for breast cancer. Or there was some cause that you got behind in a moment. How many people here have gone out and help somewhere when the hurricane knocked out power for people. See, most of us, we have inched into that in places. We have felt it in places. We have felt the tug and the touch at moments of compassion and love for others. Selflessness. We've experienced it. Most of us even liked it. So maybe a beginning question. You need to find out who you are. We look at Acts chapter 19. It's a very interesting passage. If we start with uh, verse 13. Some of the Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. And they would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, that's pretty cool, don't you think? Uh, in the name of the power of the guy, the other guy talks about, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Siva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day the evil spirit answered them. Jesus, I know. And Paul, I know. But who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them. This is all seven of them. And overpowered them all. And he gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. The demons knew who Jesus was. And they knew who Paul was. But they were not afraid of these other guys. They're not afraid. Might have had the right heart to do the social justice thing. Might have wanted to do good. But you see, there is a step beyond wanting to do good. For six years, <clears throat> I went to Mexico every six weeks. 
Every six weeks, we took rice and beans and sometimes shoes and different things. We would go to these very poor colonias in the desert in the middle of nowhere. No electricity, no water, uh, no floors in their hovels. For six years, we brought the gospel. We prayed for the sick. We saw, we saw amazing things happen. We were there once every six weeks. But on other weekends, other churches were there. And they would get saved as many times as they needed to. They wanted the food. What we did was not bad. But after six years, when we drove out of the colonia, it looked exactly the same as the day we first drove in. We had become a part of the system, the broken system. It's not that we didn't care. It's not that we didn't love but we were not operating in, a, in a, a wisdom and an authority that understood that sin is the issue, not poverty. Sin was the problem. And it's great to help people with their poverty. But if you stop there, if you stop with their poverty, then they will still find destruction and they will find death because it's what sin does. It's like getting plastic surgery over and over and over again. So when I'm 106, I still look 31. I'm buff. I look great. I'm the best-looking corpse in the funeral home. I look good, but I'm still dead. Sin is what's hurting people. Sin creates poverty. Who does God say you are? Who does God? It doesn't sound right, but we're going to go with it. What? Yeah. Who God says you are? I said it right there, didn't I? I have it. It was earlier in the text, and we'll just stay here. Matthew 5.13. Jesus says this to the people. You're the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. He tells you, you're the salt of the earth. He goes on in the same passage, and he says, you're the light of the world. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, 
and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus said, as long as I'm here, I'll be the light of the world. What he said in Matthew chapter 5 was, you're the light of the world. You are me. And I am placing you with the power and the authority that I have. The demons will know who you are. The world will take notice of you, for better or for worse. That God declares who you are. That your friends will need to know who you are, and you will need to decide who you are. Because when those questions are answered, then the light of the world takes its place on the stand and others can see. The world is a dark place. But it is not without hope. But that hope is not education and it's not technology. That hope is there is a savior And that Savior has defeated sin. And that gift is available to every single soul. In Jude, chapter 1, verse 22 and 23. Be merciful to those in doubt. Aren't those great words? Anybody ever doubted? Be merciful to those in doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others, show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. This idea, you don't have to lower your standard. You can even hate the the clothing of corruption. But don't fool yourself. Mercy, forgiveness, grace, patience, kindness, they are the tools of the Savior. It's not a legalistic approach that we beat people with truth. We invite them into truth. We model truth. We experience and we express truth. What you're going to find, if you care about injustice, it will cost you something. If you really care about injustice, it will take more than three or four tweets a week for you to play. You'll be doing the stuff of a savior. The demons go, I know who you are. Because you see, that's where sin plays. If you're going to take the place of stepping into other people's lives in the place of their sin then you are going to operate where sin plays. 
and it gives you the chance to be merciful and to snatch people from fire and to show mercy mixed with fear. That's playing right there. You're snatching people from fire. That's playing. Showing mercy, grace, all the time, being powerful in the truth. This week we begin a journey. What does it take to change a world? What does that take? If you would stand. <clears throat>